Welcome to the Transformations with Jane podcast. I'm your host, Jane Nakata, a coach for women who want to live their best life wherever they may be. If you want to hear real stories about people living life their way, and you want to learn about having more peace of mind and confidence, then this is the podcast for you. I hope you'll enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Transformations with Jane podcast. Today I have Catherine Gronau on the show for you. Catherine is the CEO of Thrive Tokyo. So what is Thrive Tokyo? Thrive Tokyo is an organization that Catherine has started that helps onboard professionals to live and work in Japan through executive training and coaching. So she specializes in orientation programs, cross-cultural education, and wellness coaching. So in our conversation today, Catherine and I talk about some of the, you know, the things that we all get tripped up on when we first start working or living in Japan. And I talk about some of my parenting, (laughs) parenting things that have happened. But, you know, she also talks a little bit about what it was like for her growing up with two cultures as she's half Japanese and spending time between America where she grew up and here in Tokyo in Japan as well. So I found that really interesting as a parent of uh, children who are half Japanese and not being, you know, half Japanese or half anything myself, then, you know, I was just wondering what it was like for her. And it was nice to hear her her feelings as an adult, um, what it was like growing up between the two countries. So yeah, we also talk about, you know, you can see Catherine, if you go and check over her, check out her beautiful website at thrivetokyo.com, you might be thinking, wow, you know, this is amazing. And she just did this. Well, this is not that she just did this, but this has been kind of a few iterations. And I really like that. And I want you to see that just if you're starting out in in a business of some kind, that potentially is not going to be what it looks like a few years down the line. That is certainly what I've experienced and certainly what Catherine has experienced as well. And now it seems like she's really hit sort of the sweet spot or the just the right sort of um, thing to be focusing on in her work and things are really taking off for her. So that's so exciting to watch as well. So yes, I hope you enjoy our our interview today. And there's my dog barking in the background. <laughs> it's all going on here today. Um, so yeah, let's just get on with the show. Hi, Catherine. Welcome to the Transformations with Jane podcast. It's great to have you here today. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this. So Catherine, I've known for quite a while now, how many years, maybe three or four years or so? You know, I was thinking about that too. I think it's potentially been, yeah, maybe potentially four years. Four years, I think. Yeah. And we are both members of the unofficial (laughs) Gretchen Rubin um, fan club. Gretchen's geeks. Yes. That was so exciting. You know, Jane and I, we met up uh, once with a couple other people who are big Gretchen Rubin fans, and we were talking about the four tendencies. And that was, yeah, a really exciting time and meetup. In Tokyo, wasn't it? Yeah. 
So when I go to Tokyo, yeah, Gretchen's geeks can get together. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully sometime in the near future, that would be really cool to do that again. But yes, Catherine, it's really nice to have you on the show today. And I'm really looking forward to talking with you a little bit about some of the things that you do. But first, could you please introduce yourself to the listeners and tell them, you know, who you are, where you came from, how did you get to Japan, that sort of thing? Yes, definitely. So I guess uh, to start off with, I am originally from Florida, West Palm Beach, Florida. My mother is Japanese, so I grew up going back and forth between the U.S. and Japan. I primarily spent most of my summers in Japan, and uh, for university, I came to Japan, and I've been here ever since. So um, at this stage of my life, I've literally spent 50% of my time in both locations. Uh, Potentially at this point, maybe even a little bit more in Japan, but I would say most of my upbringing has been um, in the U.S., My company is called Thrive Tokyo, and I help people who are new to Japan learn how to live and work in the country. And so I primarily help with onboarding related solutions. So that can include things like orientation programs, uh, cross-cultural training, um, and also one-to-one executive coaching. So I work with a combination of, you know, corporations, but I also help people uh, individually as well. Um, Yeah, so that's just a little bit about me in a nutshell. Thank you. Yeah. So as a mother of a child of children who are half Japanese as well, as an adult, I just, I'm really fascinated to hear what, what was it like for you going between the two countries now that you're an adult that you can potentially speak about it eloquently. (laughs) um, Yeah. What was it, you know, because my kids are obviously live in Japan and go between Japan and New Zealand. So it's sort of the opposite to you coming to spend your summers in Japan, whereas my kids spend their summers in New Zealand. And I know a lot of the, the listeners that we have on this show are the same. They have children who are half Japanese as well. So I'm just, yeah, I'm just wondering what was it like for you and did you like it? And how do you think that that helped you get used to Japan as a country as part of your identity, perhaps? Yeah, so I loved coming to Japan in the summertime. Um, But I also didn't really know anything else. You know, that was just part of how I grew up. I, you know, having a a Japanese mother in the home in the States, I just was, you know, really connected to Japanese culture um, anyways. And so that was kind of just, you know, what my worldview was, is just that, you know, summertimes I would just go visit grandparents and they just happened to be in Japan. Um, but I think in terms of how it how it shaped my identity, there was definitely a lot of confusion growing up going back and forth between cultures, because, you know, the messages that you're sent as a young uh, child um, is just very different in both locations. Um, so, you know, being in the States, for example, I'd, I'd uh, be always be told that I was a worry word, that I would need to be more self-assertive and, you know, develop my voice and just think for myself. Don't worry about how other people think. And then I would turn around and go to Japan and I would be told the opposite. I'd be say, oh, you're too spacey. You need to pay more attention to other people. You need to think twice before you do something. So it was a, there, it was a, a lot of confusion, I guess, kind of built around identity. With that, I think I built a lot more sensitivity for observing my surroundings, having been in Japan. Um, And in some cases that either worked in my favor or maybe caused some issues being in the States and vice versa, I would say. 
I actually didn't really meet another half Japanese person until I was 16. Um, so I remember I was taking a trip to Germany, of all places. I was uh, like on a, a summer uh, school trip. And I did a mini 10 day homestay with a German family. And it just so happened that the mother in this family was Japanese. And it was so bizarre because I felt more, you know, at home <laughs> visiting them in Germany and having, you know, Wiener schnitzel with uh, rice <laughs> than, than I yeah. probably would have been, you know, in, in any other location. And so that was really, you know, eye-opening for me. I think it was the first time I had ever come across another, you know, a, a, another family that had kids who were growing up the same way I had. And um, when I came to Japan, there was this group that had just got gotten started at that time called the Hafu Japanese group or half Japanese Facebook group at that time. So this is about maybe 12 years ago or so. And I remember like soon after I had come to Japan, they were having an event uh, for half Japanese people. And I was just so excited to go, go, go there. You know, I had only ever been in Itabashi in the Tokyo region and Ikebukuro. That was kind of all I had known about Tokyo. But I remember taking a trip to the Aoyama area. And, you know, going to this event for half Japanese people. And it was the first time I worked, walked into this room where I didn't know if I needed to use Japanese or English or neither language. And it was I was like, wow, you know, maybe this is what people think when they see my face. You know, they don't know which language to use. They don't know how to to act when or behave when I'm around. And it was it was very eye opening to kind of, you know, be in the shoes of other people who are looking at uh, people who are hafu. So did I tell you a lot there? I think, I think there's a lot to go off on. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting to hear this because, you know, obviously my kids are nine and six. So if you ask them, you know, they can't really say what it's like for them. As, as you say, it's just it's just a tarimai. It's just how it is. For them, but as someone who grew up, you know, in the with the two New Zealand parents in the back end of New Zealand, this is the fact that I'm raising two children in this way is is mind boggling to me sometimes. But you know, we just we just get through it somehow, and we, you know, it's fine, um, it's fun, it's amazing, and I'm yeah, I'm so proud of them and how they manage their two languages and their two two cultures and the you know so far so good. So yeah, it's just really interesting yeah. to hear. Um, you know your your thoughts as as an as someone who's a little bit older. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So, how did you get to be doing what you're doing today? So, you told us that your company is Thrive Tokyo, um, but this is not the first iteration of your of your work, is it? So, tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> yes, Jane, this is not the first iteration of my work. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, I started my business um, with the intention of being a health coach, and I had a website that was called Girl on Bliss at the time. And I think you might have uh, remembered that, actually. I think we connect the, the around the time we connected, I was really working on the Girl on Bliss website. And, you know, my, my complete aim was just to be a health coach. Yes, that's um, how I know you. Yeah. Yeah. And so I segued into the work I'm doing now, primarily because I found out that the people I was working with in Japan didn't know how to shop for groceries. 
So, you know, here I am trying to teach people about like healthy lifestyle and, you know, food and those types of things. And they don't know, you know, where to I where to find products that they're looking for for their diet or, you know, how how to shop in a Japanese grocery store, how to use things like miso, which they might be curious about. And so I was like, okay, let me just take a step back here and help you figure out just how to do your day to day living. And um, I was also hearing that people were dealing with issues of culture shock and, you know, feeling like they they're not really being heard or not really fitting into uh, the work environment. So I think just the combination of just trying to meet those the needs that I was hearing from people and the content that I was hearing that they needed help with that kind of led me to segueing into doing orientation programs. And then I also started working with corporations to do cross-cultural training. So that's a, essentially the evolution of uh, my business. And I essentially changed my website from a health-related website into doing cross-cultural training and onboarding as Thrive Tokyo. Yeah. So it's amazing to see your journey so far. And, you know, all of that, you know, the health coaching and all of that was completely not wasted at all, I'm sure. All of that experience that you got from doing those things has put rocket boosters on your Thrive Tokyo, I reckon. What do you say to that? Yeah, definitely. I think just being able to use the elements that I learned about coaching from the health coaching days, and also I'm doing a corporate training on wellness. So I'm, I'm still incorporating the things that I learned from doing the health coaching into the work I do now. But I think kind of the underlying message is that I want to help the individual with, with their well-being. And if that means helping them with culture-related topics, then I can do that. And if it's related to things like work-life balance and you know stress management and those topics, I can do that. So I think that's just kind of the, the end goal that I'm looking to achieve with the people who are living in Japan. So who do you mainly work with? What's sort of your, your largest demographic of clients that you work with? Yeah, that's a great question because I've been working with different corporations. And so the end user who I wind up doing training or coaching with can have a different background. So, you know, sometimes I've worked with people who are executives. Sometimes they might be people who are in junior level positions. And I've also had um, experiences working with people who are like interns who are coming for you know, a few months to do an internship in Japan. So there's really been like a big spectrum of the end user I've wound up helping. But um, on the other hand, when it comes to helping individuals, so people who have reached out to me like for B2C work, they've uh, primarily been professionals who I would say are in either management or senior level positions. Yeah, I think like at the end of the day, the aim is to help professionals, but depending on the company, or even the, you know, it could be an international school too, as well that I'm working with, the end user might have a different profile. Yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. I actually do some work here in Fukushima with an English school, and we hire new teachers. And often we hire someone who's already in Japan, and it's not really a problem. But sometimes we'll hire someone from outside Japan. And then it can be a lot of work to help them to adjust once they arrive. Yeah. And so yeah, it'd be interesting to see if you can perhaps put together an online course or something that right. we can that we can buy and put them through. I mean, obviously, they get a kind of an orientation, but there's just so much to learn, isn't there? And if you, there isn't always someone around to ask, or 
you can't, you know, can't ring your boss at midnight to ask them about how do I put miso or, you know, (laughs) is this miso right? You know, (laughs) that sort of thing. That's just something that popped into my head just as we were talking. Okay. Tell us what are some of the the biggest challenges that people face when they start working at a Japanese company? And I'm interested in this, not only for like the newbies fresh off the plane, but potentially even someone like myself who has never worked in a Japanese company, even though I've lived in Mm -hmm. Japan for a long time. Um, I, well, I have worked in Japanese companies, but not a Japanese Japanese company. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like a like yeah. a, a real deal Japanese company. <laughs> right. So I think that, well, first of all, regardless of whether a person is working for a global company or, you know, multinational corporation or a traditional Japanese company, I think that a lot of the challenges people face are, are pretty similar. You know, the benefits of being at a global company is that there is that kind of international mindset, but I think a lot of the procedures are still done in a Japanese way. So there's there's definitely a lot of crossover between people who, you know, experiences people have working at global companies versus traditional Japanese companies. And I think the only cases where a person new to Japan would work at a traditional Japanese organization is probably if they're, you know, maybe an English teacher who's who's placed at a Japanese school. Um, I just think it's really uncommon for people to work in traditional Japanese companies unless they've really, you know, studied Japanese and have, you know, gained a, a, a leverage over over the language that they can use when they're in those companies. So I would say the majority of foreigners I've come across have probably been in scenarios where they're where they specifically need a foreigner for some reason or they're in like a global corporation but um going back to the the question you're asking which is like what are the common scenarios people face i think in the early stages a lot of people don't think that they're gonna have problems like they don't know what they don't know yet so there's definitely (laughs) this yeah there's like this period of time (laughs) yeah yeah you know it's either denial or it could just be like just completely complete unawareness you know people are really excited to be in japan they're they enter the workforce and they see you know japanese people are oh everybody's so so nice here in japan the the country is so clean you know the the systems are really great and then they go into the office and they might start to notice that things are different and it takes maybe a few months for people to realize that they're uncomfortable with some of them so uh for example you know there's many scenarios where people will notice a procedure that they think could be done more efficiently. And so they propose new ideas and how to improve a process or procedure or challenge something that maybe they don't think needs to even be in place. Um, and, you know, the people around them will be, you know, nodding their head and, and saying yes and, you know, pretending like they're hearing it or listening, but, you know, nothing really changes or gets put into motion. And so I think, you know, people put a lot of energy coming to Japan, they're like, oh, I'm going to, you know, help globalize this Japanese company and, you know, put all these changes in and everybody's going to hear my ideas. But then for whatever reason, that might kind of fall on deaf ears and there isn't really any source of feedback. So I'd say change, change is probably the first thing. The second thing is feedback, not re- not receiving open, transparent feedback um, is the second thing. Communication, of course, is definitely a big challenge. So even if you're in a company where everybody is communicating in English, sometimes the things that people are intending to say in Japanese that are translated to English don't actually translate 
the meaning of what they're trying to say. So, you know, example is saying muzukashi. Muzukashi means it would be difficult. But if you say it would be difficult in English, that gives the notion that there's a possibility of of fixing something. So good, good work, yeah. Yeah, so it's, not it's uh, completely impossible. But in Japanese, yeah. it means I'm not saying no, but I, it means no, right? Yeah, it, it probably means no. So I think just those nuances where people are communicating in, in English, but the word the words aren't really translating what people are trying to to say. That can also be really uh, challenging for people who are who are new to Japan. So yeah, communications one. Also, when I when I'm working with people, I think performance expectation is just, is another topic that really comes into play. So you know, everybody who's working, we all feel like we're doing the the things and taking the steps and the actions towards what we believe we should be doing in a company to show that we're a high quality worker. But you know how people define that culture to culture could be different. So, you know, if you're from a place like the United States, maybe the only thing people care about are targets. Like, have you exceeded targets? Have you proposed new ideas and taken leadership on those projects? You know, those are kind of the qualities people might be looking for. But in Japan, you know, the qualities might be things like team participation, you know, helping others, producing high quality detailed work as opposed to, you know, work that's maybe done quickly, but kind of cuts corners. Yeah, I think those those kind of values around performance um, are really important. And sometimes people aren't really clued into them about their expectations when they first start working. So, you know, over the course of time, be it a year, two years down the road, sometimes they're they're met with that kind of like a rude awakening that they weren't on the same page <laughs> with, with their boss. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think I think we've covered kind of a good set of topics. So communication, feedback, performance expectations. Oh, uh, yeah, change. And then another one would be meetings as well. There's lots and lots and lots of meetings in Japan. Um, I just did a training recently, and I think a guy – phrased it really well. Uh, well, we were trying to define like, what do you expect to happen in a meeting? And he said, if we're only having a chat, it's not a meeting. A meeting is a meeting requires some type of conclusion, like a next step, something you learn, something you contribute, some type of next step action you have to take. But he feels that a lot of the meetings in Japan are just, you know, people gathering to have chats with each other, but there's no conclusion that is coming from it. And so that for some reason, I, I'm always really intrigued when I hear people are so frustrated with meetings in Japan. I'm like, wow, this it's amazing that just having chats with people can lead to such frustration. But I think, uh, you know, the point is that most people from outside of Japan, they want to know why they're showing up for a meeting. They want to know what their purpose is for being there. Like, are they there to listen? Are they there to contribute? And they also want to know what they're going to get out of the meeting. So, you know, what are their takeaways going to be? And, you know, that kind of structure is not really met here in Japan. So it does uh, add to a lot of, um, I guess, kind of just a lack of motivation to participate <laughs> in that. Mm. Yeah. I've been in many, many meetings where it's you show up and you sit and you listen and then you leave. And it's more like a sort of information dissemination. And somebody reads out the information that's in front of you. And I found it so frustrating. It's like, why couldn't we just get this information on our desks? Then we have to sit here and listen to this. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you know, there's that that meme that I think goes around a lot of social media platforms where it's like, you know, 
uh, I think it's a meme of someone rolling their eyes and the, the, the quote says something like, you know, when you just finished a meeting that could have been an email. (laughs) I think, you know, to see people are frustrated with that in places outside of Japan, like, just send, just send me an email. Like I didn't need to participate in that meeting. Well, you know, you're in for a big awakening here in Japan (laughs) because (laughs) almost every meeting you go to, uh, could potentially have just been an email. Um, so yeah, that's, that would be another one. Yeah, it's interesting to hear them sort of condensed down to that, just a short explanation there. But I could feel myself thinking, yep, been there, done that. Yes, yes, definitely me. Yeah. You know, the, the showing up, having to, like, even if you're not actually working, but just showing your face is considered almost as good as actually doing work sometimes. I found that so frustrating when I was working in a different organization that just like by being here is the important thing even if I'm not doing like I'm doing busy work just just to show that I'm part of this team even though I've already finished my work that's a really great point and I think that's something that people might need to wrap their heads around more here when working in Japan is like participation is such an important uh, aspect and I think because people don't see the point of the meetings they choose not to participate so sometimes Sometimes you're expected to to attend a meeting, but if you feel like it's not part of your department or there's nothing you can add to it or there's nothing you're going to get out of it, then maybe you just forgo attending. But that's actually not the point. The point is just to show your face as a as a opportunity for people to understand that you are a participate you're participating for the group. You know. Yeah. Also, um, having way too many people doing a task was another thing I noticed. Um, there's like three or four people trying to do this task and everybody's doing some minute part of it, but we're all participating in this task and therefore that's a good thing. So learning that skill of finding the minuscule piece of the task that you can contribute, I think it's a real skill that Japanese people tend to have that I didn't have for a long time. And yeah, or even... I would find people taking things away from me just so that they could have the task and be seen to be doing something. And I'm like, no, I was holding the, the duster or, you know, about to, to clean the whiteboard. Give that back, you know. Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, being idle is definitely a, a negative here, I guess. You know, just standing around doing nothing, I think, is really frowned upon. So you're right. You know, even if it's just something, just try to find something you can do to show that you are participating that's definitely really important. Yeah, I mean, I was watching like three people trying to make two cups of tea at, at one point and go, it just wow. like, mind boggling. <laughs> the And I don't mean to be like, um, that that's wrong, but it's just, that's how it's done. And that's, that is what it is. But if you've never seen it before and you don't understand it, you're just watching and going, what is happening here? Why are they doing that? It's such a waste of time. It's not. Their goals yeah. are different to yours, potentially. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's probably what the most dangerous thing is about uh, coming to Japan and not having a a culture training is because people make assumptions about these behaviors based on your own worldview or perspective. So if you don't understand why someone's doing something, you can jump to conclusions that are completely off mark. So, you know, some of the things I've heard are, you know, Japanese people 
are not confident or they have nothing to say or they're not thinking about anything. But, you know, they might have something to say. They might have a, a big idea, but maybe there's some something around the, the communication style um, or behavior that's associated with communication that it could be different. Or maybe they're showing you what they're thinking without saying it verbally. So yeah, I just think that, you know, the biggest sources of stress or anxiety come from when people don't understand the why behind all of these behaviors, and then they jump to their own conclusions, or, you know, maybe feel like people don't don't like them, or, you know, they're, they're not being included for something. So I think that's just, yeah, it's just kind of a dangerous path to go to go down. So it's really important to have that kind of understanding of, of why people do things the way they do. Yeah, um, definitely a feeling of not getting the memo, right? Um, yeah. Everybody's doing something, but I don't know anything about this. What is going on? I think that is something I definitely felt. And I just felt, yeah, like you mentioned, excluded. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the intention at all. Everybody else got the memo. It was just an unwritten one that <laughs> was like an air memo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's air memos that go around these organizations that unless you've been there a few years, you don't necessarily know what they are yeah Yeah. exactly I think one of the things that I feel you know as someone who's trying to help people that is so something that I just would wish people would hear you know if if people are in organizations is that a, a lot of the challenges people face here are predictable because you know they're they're happening in so many different different uh companies they're happening no matter what industry you're in or background you have, I think people are facing the same challenges over and over again. So, you know, because they're predictable, it also means that they're potentially preventable, or at least you can kind of give people a heads up so that when they do come across those challenges, they kind of understand at least what they are or some things that they can do to navigate or mitigate them. Mm, Yeah, definitely. And those are totally transferable to your private life as well in Japan, I feel. If you can... If you can manage your work life in Japan, I think there's a lot of it you can completely transfer to how things are run in your kid's school or in your neighborhood. And yeah, it can make your life a lot easier, even outside of work as well. Yes, definitely. Yeah, as a, a mother of two kids and learning to navigate the the world of mothers and school and what one should wear when one goes to school for an entrance ceremony or all of these things, it's, it's I think it's power of observation is something that will never let you down in this country. If you can observe and copy, <laughs> yes. you, you may be a little bit behind the eight ball sometimes, but having um, an insider confidant type person who can say, okay, I've got this thing coming up. What am I supposed to wear? What do I what do I need to bring that's not on the list here that everybody else knows to bring, but I don't know because I'm not Japanese. Mm-hmm. That can really, really help you in your private life as well. Potentially, if you're not in an organization and you don't have someone like Catherine to teach you these things, right. this is how you yeah. can how you can do that, recreate that in your own life. I think, yeah. That's a good point. I think one of the things that I hear a lot when people reach out to me to work together is that they want to blend in. And I'm like, that's a really interesting choice of words that I hear over and over is, yeah, you know, I just want to figure out how to blend into Japanese society. And I'm like, you know, when you're, at least if you're not of Asian, you know, descent or background, you know, you're going to stick out. Yeah, <laughs> it's, good luck and, with that. <laughs> yeah, good luck. It's, it's, it's hard. I mean, even being half Japanese, like I have a, a Japanese mom and I've grown up with Japanese culture, but I stand out 
you know, everywhere I go. And, you know, it's really hard to feel completely, you know, included. But yeah, I think that that word choice of wanting to blend in is just so interesting. And I think that people can achieve blending into the extent that they can being a foreigner um, by just understanding these social norms, or at least the etiquettes or, you know, mannerisms that that come into play because you know as long as you can kind of meet some of those procedures as you said you know just if, if as long as you can know what the uniform is and you can meet that then you're not going to draw attention to yourself that's unnecessary so how yeah, to I think not what draw people, attention to yourself yeah. is really what it is yeah that's what people are meaning isn't it i want to i yeah. don't want to draw unnecessary attention to myself so for example i will not wear a bright green dress to the new Gakushiki for my kids school i will wear a black or gray or sort of a beige <laughs> seems to be yeah and then my beige trench coat the mother's uniform if I wear something like that and I'm not gonna have like anything low cut on or <laughs> high cut skirt mm-hmm. I'm gonna have you know very sort of formal very subtle clothing on yeah then it's just the fact that oh we have a gaiji mama with us it's not that it's the gaiji mama in a bright green dress oh my god did you see that Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. So just essentially, how can I not draw unnecessary attention to myself? I think that's really what people are getting at when they when they say not blending in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, good luck. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, even if you like, I'm, I feel a bit better, you know, even you struggle to blend in or to not be to stand out. Yeah. And so how on earth would anybody who's not Japanese, even remotely Japanese looking, not stand out. But then saying that, people will get used to you, yeah. And when you first yes. show up on the she- on the scene, wherever that might be, yeah, it will cause a bit of a fuss and people will be a little bit flustered and all of that. But after a while, they do get used to you and you become part of the furniture as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it, it does get better. And especially here where I live, um, I'm the only – we're the only foreign f- – family well we're not a foreign family but we're a family with one foreign parent we're the yes. only one in the whole school um like the, the, i don't know how many hundred kids there are and so my my children are the only children who are, are half japanese at their school but mm-hmm. it's fine like everybody's used to us and that's just how it is now so but when we first started it was the bit of excitement and my daughter was like a little bit of a mini celebrity which is nice <laughs> which is nice yeah but yeah they do get um they people do get used to you and you can become part of the community as well so yeah just don't let that hold you back as well I think that's something I really struggled with was was holding back and not putting myself forward and trying to get to know people even though it's hard if you just keep going people will will warm to you even if it doesn't feel as warm as potentially in your home country, what that might feel like. It's a different kind of acceptance, but it's definitely there. Yeah, it is. And I think, uh, yeah, it just takes time. But I think, you know, that's another thing in Japan, too, is that relationships might be a little bit harder at first to develop. But once you do have the relationship, you're really, you know, you can really have very strong connections with people. Um, So, yeah, it, it does take a little time, but you'll definitely get there. Yeah, I think, yeah, we're talking like, you know, a while. <laughs> we're, <laughs> right, we're a, while. a while. It takes some time. <laughs> um, but, you know, I just think back to 10 years ago when I moved to this neighborhood and nobody knew me and I did feel really uncomfortable actually walking around my neighborhood for the first few years. But now it's everybody's gotten used to me. Nobody blinks an eyelid. Everybody knows who I am and that, and it's nice. Yeah, it's actually 
nice to feel part of a community as well. So yeah, it does take a while. It does take, <laughs> it does take a while. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your insider tips with us about that. You also mentioned that you do a lot of wellness and we're training. Yeah. And so given that we're in this, you know, Corona wire at the moment, what are some of the tips that you're, you give out to people that you think be useful at this time? Yeah. So I think what the COVID situation has really brought upon people is just, you know, people have been having to make such a, a large adjustments in a really short amount of time. And I think one of the, the biggest challenges I've heard from people, be it uh, foreigners or Japanese people, is communication during COVID, um, especially if they're working from home. You know, if you get a new, like if you have a change in manager, it's really hard to get to know this new person uh, sure. through through mm. email, you know, or and, you know, in Japan, it's such a high context culture, meaning that um, part of communication that's so important is being able to see how people are acting and, you know, the mannerisms that they're using. And you don't really have that when you're working from home. You can't really see the person. You can't hear their tone of voice. Um, so it's interesting because for people who are from outside of Japan, relying on just verbal communication, even if it's just email, I think people are really comfortable with that. But in Japan, you know, people really care about meetings, as we were talking about before, you know, mm. being able to connect with each other in meetings in person. And so not having that, I think, has added uh, to a lot of stress, uh, whether you are Japanese or not Japanese. But anyway, just going back to wellness um, itself, I think, uh, you know, the concept of resilience has really come has really been like a big buzzword. And I think as long as people are able to pick one thing for themselves that they can do for their self-care. Um, I think that's been really important task. One Japanese woman I was talking to when we first started working together for coaching, she uh, was looking, she was really curious about mindfulness, like the concept of, like she had done a training at, at her uh, office and they, they brought up the concept of having mindfulness and awareness. And so we started off by doing journaling tasks just to kind of get a sense of, you know, her thoughts and developing a mindfulness practice, but it didn't really resonate with her. And we experimented with some other things. And right now she's found that she really has a love of drawing and and, you know, she's been starting to take some some little mini classes on uh, being an illustrator mm. for, you know, fashion oriented drawings. And for her, even just if it's only 20 minutes a day, like during her lunch break, for her to just practice her drawing, that has brought her so much joy. It's it's a time that she can just spend for herself, um, you know, away from her work and her family. And, you know, it's her it's her little me time that she can have. And also she can be creative. She can, you know, explore this new hobby that she really enjoys. So um, it's just been fun to kind of see how, you know, when you think about health and wellness, you might think just diet and exercise or you know, meditation or something like that. But for each individual, there's something different that could resonate. And I think as long as people are able to focus on one task, be it drawing or exercise or whatever it is, um, that's how they've been able to kind of maintain balance. Because the whole point of this COVID situation is that we don't have control. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of changes that have happened. But you can control that one task that you want to have for yourself for your own personal care. So 
just putting that at the forefront. And it doesn't have to be something that takes a lot of time. I think that's been really, really important for people's mental and sometimes physical and emotional health. Definitely. That, yeah, not having control, but also, yeah, putting that at the forefront. And it's so easy to not do that. And I noticed as we've we've just been pinging back and forth across the world in this last year, but finally we've settled down back in Fukushima, <laughs> that yeah. um, I actually noticed, I think it was a couple of days ago, I was thinking, okay, my house is looking okay. We've got most things we need in our house um, my work is coming along nicely. I'm feeling connected back to some of the work I used to do here and I really like what I'm doing at the moment. But then I realized, hang on a minute, where's my fun time gone? I mm-hmm. <laughs> have not got any fun time. I've got work. <laughs> I've got like cleaning my house. I've got exercising, which is, you know, I really like exercising, walking my dog and stuff. But where is my fun time? That's not on my calendar anywhere. And I didn't, and then I couldn't even think of one thing that I wanted to do. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> I know. I don't do? know. One fun what, thing. Come I don't on. Know. <laughs> what has it been for this pandemic? But it's really hard to think of something fun to do because all of the fun things were associated with gathering with people or, you know, going to karaoke or whatever it was. And so, yeah, you're right. I think just trying to have a time for fun, it's been really hard to redefine what that is during this COVID time. Yeah, exactly. A lot of our previous previous fun things are now NG or <laughs> we're not supposed to be doing them, traveling, mm-hmm. um, all of those things. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, this has been something I've been thinking about for a few days now and I still don't have an answer. I was thinking maybe it's golf. Maybe I should start learning golf because golfing is a thing here in Iwaki City. We have lots of beautiful oh. golf courses and driving ranges and there's even like a class starting up that I could go to and learn how to play. And I even own a set of golf clubs, but is that necessarily a good reason to start <laughs> learning to play golf? <laughs> I'm not sure. So yeah, I'm on the lookout for what is my, my fun thing. You know, of course I get like, I go and I do self-care things like get my hair cut. I mean, that's kind of a, like a basic maintenance kind of thing, but mm-hmm. I get my nails done. That, that is something that I do, but I wouldn't call it fun. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like getting your nails done is, is, can be quite tedious, actually. It's two hours. Of, yeah. You know, it's not fun. It's it's nice. The outcome is nice at the end, but it's not necessarily fun. But yeah, what is yeah, that Yeah, I guess thing? There, there is like a difference between something that brings you a sense of joy or fulfillment, but then fun might be defined differently. Like I guess how I would define fun is something where I'm like laughing with people, you know, something that you know, laughing or participating in, a, in a, an activity. But then, you know, something like doing the nails, I think that's still really necessary too, just for self-care and, and fulfillment. But you're right, it's not necessarily how I would define fun. So it's interesting because, you know, I think during COVID, we've had to kind of shift what we, th- you know, the method of self-care that we need. So, you know, for me, before the pandemic, going out to salsa dancing and, you know, I was doing at-home kind of Pilates-style workouts. That was kind of my routine. But now I find that I don't really like to do at-home workouts because, you know, if I'm going to do exercise at all, I want to be able to, to, to get out and get some fresh air. So, you know, doing walks have been a lot more fulfilling for, like, mental health and also physical health. So it's interesting. I think, you know, the things that we were doing for self-care before the pandemic might not actually be the thing that that meets the needs that we need to fulfill during the pandemic. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Put a, mm-hmm. a bit of a switch up needed there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that that's given me something to think about now that I've actually voiced that to you. What is my fun? 
What's yeah. that going to be? And maybe you too. <laughs> yes, I have to think about it too. <laughs> I have to think about that too. And yeah, so if you're listening, um, go over to my Instagram and and tag me and tell me what's your fun. What are you doing for fun these days? Give us some ideas, you know, the COVID-friendly fun um, that, you know, that doesn't involve eating too much or drinking too much or watching Netflix. Because those, you know, those are more sort of a numbing time of activities that sometimes we yeah. mistake for fun. Yeah, ideally something that doesn't involve a screen because I don't know about you, but my eyes have been getting so sore from right. staring yeah, at we, screens all the yeah, time. Yeah, we don't yeah. need to look at screens any more than we're already doing. I love the idea of the art thing. Um, we had Kristen on a few weeks ago and she was telling us, yeah. you know, some some tips for getting started with being creative with um, art supplies and things. So there's that. Yeah, um, getting out into nature. That's something I definitely learned in Sweden was if in doubt, go outside, <laughs> put some clothes yeah. on and go outside go and outside. walk around and find some nature and enjoy that nature. So that never fails to get us, um, get us, you know, just sort of switch up your moods. But yeah, fun. I actually, something that has been really fun for us as a family since we've come back is to, to cook in our garden. And we have this hot plate that we take outside and we sit in our garden and we just cook whatever we're cooking on a Saturday lunchtime. And nobody does that in Japan pretty much right especially around if you have a house and you have a garden you will not see Japanese families sitting outside cooking so much doing yeah? a barbecue doing yeah. a barbecue it's not really a thing until it's like far too hot to actually have a barbecue then I'm like uh -huh. I don't want to have a barbecue <laughs> the middle of winter is not a time I thought I would ever have a barbecue but it's actually a really good time because you can just put on a few more clothing items and here where I live, it's quite sunny um, on the Pacific coast. It generally doesn't rain. So it's usually actually quite pleasant. And yeah, we've done um, yakiniku. Um, we can put takoyaki. We've got a takoyaki mm. attachment, so we can do takoyaki on the barbecue in our garden. Um, okonomiyaki we can do as well with the different attachments. So we've got all of these different plates that go on our hot plate. We sit outside and just doing that feels like you've done something and it's really satisfying. So it's getting that satisfaction feeling afterwards, I think, which is part of the fun. Yeah, that sounds so nice. I'm getting hungry now. It's <laughs> <Just laughs> getting to that time, about isn't all it? These <laughs> yeah, getting to that time of the day. Yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Catherine. And I only wish I'd asked you to come on a little bit earlier, but thank you for sharing some of these things that trip us up as well, not just new people in Japan, but we're always finding new things that are tripping trip us up in Japan. Don't we really? I mean, even after years and years of being here. So yeah, always observing and and seeing <laughs> what's going on here, I think is, is a really good strategy to have. But yeah, the service that you have, I'm sure is helping loads of people to ease their transition into Japan. And I know that can only be a good thing. So thank you so much for coming today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I think you also pointed out some really great things like, you know, just when you feel like you're starting to get used to Japan, there might be something new that you have to engage with. So in your case, it would be, you know, having children and bringing the children to school. And now there's another set of things to engage with. So it's always an, an ongoing experience. Uh, depending on the stage of life you're at or the new adventure that you're you're taking on with new activities you want to do. So yeah, it's ongoing. Yeah, definitely. We're always <laughs> learning here in Japan, never a dull day. Right. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, have a good day and we'll catch you later. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. So that was the interview with Catherine. I hope you enjoyed that and Perhaps you learned something new or maybe you had some aha moments or mm -hmm, that definitely happened to me moments and you feel a little bit <laughs> less 
I don't know, um, like you don't know what's going on in Japan because it is a process and I've been here 20 years and I'm still learning, but it can be interesting too. Sometimes it's really tiring though as well. So it's good to notice when you're feeling culturally worn out or something. And we talked a little bit about self-care and how that might look different now that we're in this new reality or living with a pandemic going on. And I think that's a really good thing to think about. What am I doing that I've always done that potentially is not really working for me right now? Maybe I do need to move my workouts outside more or something like that. So that's something really good to think about. Also, yeah, the fun thing. What do I do for fun? And has there any actual fun on my schedule? Yeah, something good to think about. Please tag me with your fun. What do you do for fun? And yeah, show us, give us some ideas and inspiration as well. And also, some people might be looking for permission to have fun. You know, it's it can feel like, oh, who am I to be allowed to have fun while some people are in lockdown or other people have lost family members and things. But this is, it's going to be a long time before we're back to normal. So we need to really look after ourselves and be in this for the long game. That's for sure. So at the end, I completely forgot to give Catherine a chance to tell you what she'd like you to do next. So if you're thinking, oh, I'd like to get in contact with Catherine or I'd like to see more of her work, definitely hop over to her website. So her website is thrivetokyo.com. You can find her on LinkedIn or Instagram as well. So her Instagram is Catherine Gronauer, just her name. And you, she actually does these quite fun quizzes. I think it's on a Wednesday maybe. Um, you can sort of, it's on her stories. So just go in there and you can see if you know all about the Japanese culture things she'll ask you. It's quite fun. Sometimes sometimes I like to um, do the quiz because I can get the answer right. <laughs> yeah, so definitely connect with her if you're interested to learn more about her one-to-one coaching that she has, or perhaps you are working somewhere that could benefit with having her come in and do some workshops or something then yeah, definitely get in touch with her. So thank you so much for listening as always. And I will see you again next week for another episode. And next week we have another Catherine coming on the show. I'm very excited to uh, talk to this other Catherine, Catherine O'Connell. And we have some really good updates to share with you since she came on the show a few years ago now. And yeah, that's going to be really exciting. So I hope you'll tune in again next week. Thank you so much and take care. Bye and see you next time.